Professor Peter Beresford is from Brunel University. He's also the chair of Shaping Our Lives, a national user-controlled organisation. He's been a user of mental health services and is an academic and prominent figure in the mental health world. Dr John Hopton is from the University of Manchester. He's trained as a nurse before becoming an academic specialising in mental health issues. And Dr Jan Wallcraft works for the Sainsbury Centre for Mental Health and the National Institute for Mental Health in England and has been a user of mental health services, is an academic and very active in the survivor movement. Dr Jan Wallcraft, if I can come to you first, what exactly is recovery? The way I've looked at it is that it seems obvious that if somebody can have a breakdown, a mental illness, they should also have the possibility of recovering. But it seems that in most mental health literature, that possibility of recovery never appears. We're trying to say that this should be a key factor in any kind of mental health service, that the possibility of recovery should be looked at and the means of helping somebody recover should be the most important aspect of mental health work. Recovery is not the same as cure or being completely well or being normal, in inverted commas. It is self-defined. Each person has a concept of where they want to be when they come through their mental distress or mental illness. And that's just the concept that should be worked with. What does that person want to achieve? What are their hopes for their own future? So when you say the mention of recovery doesn't appear in mental health literature, are you saying that it's not a widely held belief that recovery is important? I think it has not been a widely held belief that recovery was even possible once somebody had a diagnosis of a severe mental illness. They were seen as that was it for life. They were never really going to be a full member of society again. But actually, if you look at most of the research where people have been followed up over years, the proportion of people who recover is quite high. Even with a serious illness such as schizophrenia, maybe a third of people actually recover their lives completely. A third of people will make a social recovery, that is, they can get back to living a fairly good life, even with some disability. Maybe only a third of people won't really recover, but uh, it, probably even those figures could be improved if recovery was addressed in the way that I think it should be addressed. Dr Hopton, is that your experience too, that recovery is perhaps not accepted as a mainstream concept? It was certainly true when I was training as a nurse in the 70s. I mean, the, there was a very popular sort of way of explaining things like schizophrenia to patients and to the relatives of patients as encouraging people to think of schizophrenia as being something analogous to diabetes where as the diabetic has to take insulin for the rest of their life so the person diagnosed with schizophrenia would have been encouraged to believe that they would need to stay on medication for the rest of their lives in which case there certainly wasn't an idea of recovery around and I think that that kind of idea is still around. I'm not sure that it's as prevalent as it once was, but certainly it would not be uncommon amongst mental health professionals of my generation, people who trained in the sort of 60s, 70s, possibly even the late 80s, to have that view. Who defines recovery? There is a history of mental health professionals latching onto labels and imposing their own interpretation on them. So I think it's important that if this concept of recovery is going to be a progressive one, it's important that recovery is defined by the person who is experiencing distress and not by any sort of self-proclaimed expert, I think, really. Professor Beresford, pick up that point about labels. Are labels 
always a good thing or are they something that are latched onto in a way which are counterproductive? Well, I think this label is a very interesting one because it's both quite a, a recent development and something that's very old. I think it's interesting, for example, if we revisit the 19th century, we can find the establishment of organisations like the Mental Aftercare Association, which is still in operation, which very much took the view that people could get better and set up aftercare services for people leaving what were then the old asylums. But what worries me, of course, is who's introduced the idea this time round and who will be defining it. And because we know of the inequalities of power that there are in the mental health system, the, the very limited power to define of mental health service users and the considerable power of some professionals, I have serious concerns. And I also think that it's been quite a divisive idea so far because some mental health service users are finding it quite helpful. And I think that uh, Jan gave a really positive definition as mental health service users would like to see it develop. But, of course, that's not necessarily the way that the idea is going to develop. And the idea has been imported from the States and has really been advanced very much from the top down. The notion did originate in the United States, but it was developed there initially by service users. It was then taken up by the University of Boston and developed as a concept. And I agree with Peter, there is the danger that this concept, like many other concepts such as normalisation, could be taken over by professionals. And I think it's really important that we just keep on saying that that is not the way it should develop. And I would not support that. I think there's a more fundamental problem, really. And I think you've highlighted the ambiguities that concern me. You only can recover if you're ill. If you're ill, then maybe you can get better. I think for many of us in the mental health service user-survivors movement, part of the really big problem is the reliance that mm -hmm. there still strongly is mm -hmm. on a medical model of mental illness underpinning policy, provision mm -hmm. and practice. And it's a medical model that unfortunately, and I'm sure the intention mm -hmm. isn't necessarily there, pathologizes us, focuses on the individual incapacities, deficiencies problems, things people can't do, where I think what's at the heart of what you're saying is really about developing, building on what people can do. And I think so long as we're dependent on a medical model, that's going to be very difficult. John? I do agree with you. I think there is this sort of difficulty that if you talk about recovery, it does tend to imply an illness model. And then I thought, well, how can we get around that? And I thought about something like the way in which an athlete might use the term recovery, in the sense that if you go on a long run, you need to recover from it. But the run hasn't made you ill, but if you don't have a proper planned and well-thought-out recovery, you certainly may suffer some kind of ill effect, for want of a better word, from it. But would getting that message across to mental health professionals require a large shift of thinking? I think if you can get them early enough, you can sometimes do it. But I think the difficulty with that is, again, it comes to the problem of the nature of organisations and the nature of institutions. Again, when I was training as a psychiatric nurse in the 1970s, it was an era when there was a lot of change in the wind. There were quite a lot of new ideas around. And all we ever got told as student nurses when you sort of complained about things that were happening on the wards was, it's up to you to change it. But as a student nurse, you were the least powerful person in the organisation. So it probably took about 20 years for that generation of people to get into a position of leadership within the profession before any real sort of substantive change came along. There must be other changes required, though, in order that people will have the support and backup they need in order to recover. As my colleague there said, you don't have to have a concept of illness in order to recover. You can recover from a broken heart, you can recover from 
a broken leg. We can recover from almost any life situation. And people who've had a crisis in their life, they do need a period of recovery, whether or not they identify that as an illness. And I think it's important that people are given that space to find their feet again and find what they want to do with their lives. There are a lot of things that would enable recovery to happen better and I think some of those are very practical things such as the benefit system. I think one of the reasons that service users are particularly concerned about this idea of recovery is the fear that somebody else, some mental health worker um, or doctor will define them as recovered and then take away their services and their benefits. And I think it is genuinely going to be difficult to promote the idea of recovery if we can't address the issue of benefits and people's rights to get back into a proper job. And Professor Beresford, getting back into a proper job must be another. Well, it is, and it's very closely related to this whole discussion. It does concern me because I think we're hearing very much from the progressive wing of discussion about recovery here. And, of course, I think people are right that we can bend these words to constructive purposes. But what worries me is this is an idea which hasn't in this country, at least, and and the movement of mental health service users in the UK is different to the movement of mental health service users in the United States. It hasn't come from mental health service users, and we are trying to make the most of it. But we have other ideas which have come from us, which I think can be far more helpful, ideas which might have good relationships with recovery and might actually offer alternatives to recovery. I think ideas like self-management are very, very helpful here, how we can learn better to deal with those issues that affect us. But also, I think that some mental health service users, an increasing number, are beginning to learn from the ways in which the disabled people's movement in the UK and internationally has done its thinking and developed a social understanding of issues of disability which are transferable with change and development to mental health service users which focus very much on issues of rights and overcoming barriers. And what worries me most about the medicalised mental health system we have here is it under-explores, it underplays issues of barriers. And the barriers are what most concern us now. There are really big barriers which we need to challenge like mm-hmm. stigma, stereotyping, unemployment, discrimination, isolation and the rest. And I don't see how a medically-based, because that's the dominant model of recovery, is going to help us take that forward successfully. One of my concerns about the concept of recovery is that certainly the psychiatric profession and large sections of the various sort of mental health professions still accept the validity of a diagnosis such as personality disorder. And there is still a debate around amongst mental health professionals as to whether or not personality disorder as defined by psychiatry is treatable. And I think one of the difficulties that we have with the concept of recovery, it opens the door to blaming the person who gets the diagnosis of personality disorder for their problem, blaming them for not getting better. And I think that's one of the major anxieties I have about the concept. Do you mean that that puts pressure on people who don't recover or puts pressure on people to make attempts to recover that possibly make the situation worse? It's a bit of both, I think, really. I mean, several writers in the past have made the observation that the label personality disorder is a very convenient diagnosis for a psychiatrist to put on a person who he doesn't know how to help. Because once you put the diagnosis personality disorder onto a person, then you've legitimised the fact that you can't help that person because it's in the literature that people with personality disorder may be untreatable or are untreatable if you read some books. 
And I think it's that issue, it's that idea of blaming the person about sort of absolving yourself of responsibility as a helping professional for helping someone, because this person will not recover. Therefore, it's not my fault, it's their fault. But what about the people who have been very damaged and are very seriously mentally ill? Will they recover? Can they recover? Perhaps we should think about a different way of expressing that concern, which is that with appropriate support with challenges being made at a broader level to barriers, what can those people contribute? In what ways can they regain and maximise their potential? And bearing in mind that we know people who are actively involved, contributing in all sorts of ways, as far as is possible, who have been labelled as having severe and enduring mental illness, who've had the most terrible times, who've had many times in hospital over long periods and still can contribute, I think we really need to dissuade ourselves of the use of prophecy here that what we can say is that people who've had the most difficult experiences over a very long time can still do things but I would like to go back to that point that Jan raised about benefits and contribution because benefits are such a big barrier to contributing. We were asked by the Minister in Shaping Our Lives to do some work to produce a report from talking to service users around the country about how well they were able to do what government wants them to do, to participate, to get involved in policy and provision. And over and over again we've been hearing from people that they're inappropriately frightened of losing their benefits, that they live in fear that if they take part in something that might happen, it will take ages to sort them out. Local offices who, with the best will in the world, don't actually know how to do it. And presumably if they were to have another illness would then find that their benefits didn't kick in quickly Absolutely enough. right. Or another episode of difficulty, yes. Is it your experience that if people can contribute at some level, that will be a catalyst to recovery? I do think that is the case. I think the important thing about recovery is it's linked to hope, the concept of hope. I and mean, people have tried to define what hope is. It's a hard thing to define, but many people who have talked about recovery, their own personal recovery, have said that it was triggered by regaining hope, regaining self-esteem, regaining self-confidence. And I think those are really important issues for mental health workers to consider. How can they contribute to somebody regaining hope? They can't make that happen. It's not a thing that they can force but they should be contributing to a person regaining some hope and self-esteem and sense of purpose in life. I think the importance of using a target such as recovery, using a word such as recovery for mental health workers is that that can be or could be a way of measuring evaluating what they do. How far does that contribute to a person's recovery? Again, defined by the person themselves. And if mental health services are not contributing to recovery and if social services are not contributing to recovery, then why not? You know, that might be a way of looking at the things which block recovery, such as the benefit system. The social exclusion unit have been told by many, many service users that they cannot be properly included until the benefits issue is resolved and the benefits trap that they're in. You use one of the words which I think is most important here, developing self-confidence. And I was an advisor to a user-controlled research project, people who'd not done research before, who hadn't been in work for ages. And during the course of that project, one of the women got a job and she wrote us all a letter saying that she didn't think she'd have had the confidence to take that step back into a job without the kind of gaining of skills, the working with other people that she'd got from being on the research project. And I think that's what we're actually talking about here. In fact, I feel that I'm hearing this discussion as kind of like the word recovery getting in the way of a, a whole mindset of developing good ideas building confidence and so on and so forth. And also this idea that you have to be ill before you can get better. 
I think we should start looking a bit more at the way that direct payments are beginning in this society to work for some mental health service users. And I listened to one who's been accessing them for a while, and she said it's not all hunky-dory. She still has very real difficulties, but she's convinced that having the support, and with direct payments, you control the support that you have. You get the kind of support you want, and it tends to be non-medicalised support because that's what people want that she felt several times she's avoided having to go into hospital. She's avoided periods of, quote, illness to recover from. But picking up on that point about the word recovery getting in the way, are there people for whom it simply does get in the way, Dr Hopton? I find the term recovery works fine for me if I'm talking about depression, if I'm talking about post-traumatic stress disorder, if I'm talking about anxiety, if I am talking about the absolute terror of a severe psychotic experience, it makes complete sense. But the difficulty that I have with it is over the last 10 or 15 years we've seen new ideas developing in relation to self-harm, We've seen new ideas developing in relation to voice hearing, which has sort of encouraged us to think of this as part of the way of being in the world for many people, something we don't need to recover from. There's been some research done, apparently, which has shown that self-harm is now higher in Britain than anywhere else, and problematising this because it's a sort of affecting people who are even younger. And I thought, hmm, where does this leave us? You know, we've taken, you know, 100 years of psychiatry to get to a progressive view of self-harm, And now this discourse is moving backwards again, and I could see the use of the term recovery perhaps getting in the way of that. So where does all of this leave us? What are the practical implications of this concept if it is rolled out and it does become a much more important part of mental health services? I see it as a changing paradigm or changing model. If we talk about mental health services in terms of a recovery model, then they would have to change the way that they work and the way they operate and the way they link up with other branches of service, such as social services, and perhaps you know, lessen the barriers between ideas of illness and distress and probably stop using some of the negative labels that they use and maybe just look at problems and distress and how to help people through those. It doesn't have to be called recovery, but looking at ideas of helping people to have a positive life again, then recovery can be a hope-inducing word for some people. For other people, self-management of their problems is what works best for them. But services need to be working towards helping people live a positive lifestyle and recovery is one way of changing the paradigm. Professor Beresford? Well, I don't want to devalue the really positive ideas that underpin commitment to this idea of recovery, but I think sadly that public policy, policy developments tend to degrade and institutionalise very good ideas. Mm. I thought normalisation was a good example that you offered, Jan. And I worry about there becoming another tyranny because one of the things I've noticed very much with mental health service users is that people don't want to replace one tyranny with another. People want a much more free approach, which is based on people being able to generate their own ways of dealing with things, their own ways of managing their lives, the kind of service that might work for them rather than some sort of orthodoxy. And I worry that this is going to impose both on service users and on service workers another externally imported orthodoxy. Dr Hopton, there's a balance to be struck here. I can see the positive aspects of it and I can see the negative aspects of it. I spoke before about the view that was prevalent in the 70s about the idea of telling people who had a diagnosis of schizophrenia that they needed to be on medication for the rest of their life. Now, I can see how a concept of recovery could be used to actually change people's outlook on that kind of thing in the sense that you could actually 
suggest to somebody that you might use medication to recover from that period of those sort of distressing thoughts, the hallucinations or, or the thought disorder or whatever it was. And then once you were through the crisis, that you could then, having recovered from the crisis with the use of drugs, that you could then go on about sort of finding new ways of developing confidence. I still can't see how we will benefit from using a term with power imbalances, which is always going to take us back, however much we are reluctant to do that and however much more exciting and different ways of thinking we can bring in to, you, you know, if there's a problem, if the person's ill, then here's an allied idea, recovery. And I think we should really be looking to some of those self-generated ideas which are becoming really powerful, which are not becoming unhelpfully controversial, getting in our way as people and becoming a barrier between us, but which mean that people really may have those chances. I sometimes find it very difficult to take on just how bad mental health services routinely are. We're starting from a terrible base... I think the idea of recovery is challenging both to service users and to mental health workers. I think if people feel that they can't recover in their lives, maybe they need a challenge like recovery to say, well, actually, maybe you can do better. Maybe you can start to dream again about the things you used to dream about, not just about managing your problems, but actually, you know, living the life you always dreamed of. I think that can be a helpful challenge to service users. Certainly service workers and mental health workers and psychiatrists need the challenge of if you're not helping your patient recover, why not? And what could you do that might help them recover? I like the challenge of it. I think it's controversial, but I think that can be a good thing. Dr Jan Walcraft, Dr John Hopton and Professor Peter Beresford. Thank you. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.